1: Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you subscribe. Depending on the podcast provider that you use, it might be a follow button, it might be a subscribe button. But whatever allows you to get access to all of the old episodes that we have produced, a lot of which still stand up, including our Heat Stories series, which has episodes with Udonis Haslam, Mario Chalmers, and others. And... It also gets you access to all of our new episodes as soon as they post. Also, if you type in five reasons to your podcast provider, you will find all 13 podcasts in our network. And that includes our newest podcast, Light Skinned Opinions, Cinco Rezonas. That's for your Spanish speakers out there and for your Spanglish speakers. We had Will Manso on there this week and also our newest podcast, Swings and Mishes, which is hosted by Craig Mish, and he had the president of baseball operations, Michael Hill, on with him for his first full episode. All right, for this particular episode, we're going to talk to somebody that I've been on the air with for how long is it, Orlando? Um, I'm trying to figure out when. Easily when year, did easy, e- easily twenty years, dude? Easily twenty years. When I back when I was covering the Dolphins, um, and, and I can remember. God, so far back with you um, doing those weekly segments on the Dolphins. But also, I I remember you and I at a bar in Coral Gables watching Dwayne Wade as a rookie in 2003. So Orlando and that that goes way back. So Orlando and I go way back here. You know him as the big O on WQAM. You can find him there in the midday every single day. Also on Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio and a new project. And this is fortuitous timing for us, Orlando, because there was a big announcement With you this week. So tell the listeners before we move to our topic today what you are going to be doing and who you are going to be doing it for.
2: Well, uh, I uh, joined The Athletic, which is obviously a a great sports uh, publication that's out there now. The website is all over the place and it's growing in different cities because sadly the newspaper business has been dying, as you well know, Ethan, what's going on with the business. And so they're kind of moving into all these cities. And they have now added one here in South Florida that's the Athletic MIA. And they're going to hire several uh, reporters locally that are going to cover all of the local sports. So it's going to be kind of like your local paper. And we see what's going on with the Palm Beach Post. And some of the other papers are probably going to follow suit as as the years go on. And, and I think that uh, the Athletic has been very smart to kind of jump on that. And they're moving into all of these towns, and they're moving into uh, our town. And Chris Perkins uh, from the South Florida Sun Sentinel has joined them now. You'll hear about some other uh, folks that are joining. I can't say who they are, but uh, there'll be some folks that are joining, and I- I'm gonna, I'm with them now too. I'm gonna be a columnist for them. Uh, I'm not really gonna be doing like real writing, like like what Ethan does and guys like Chris Perkins. I'm not going to be doing game stories and things like that. It'll be more of a column, my opinion, those kind of things on the Dolphins. Uh, we'll be doing it every week. We'll have a column every single week, and then eventually, once uh, everything gets going, I think they'll get into the area of podcasting, and I probably that's that's probably where I, I I will also help out, and I'm I'm probably going to be with all the other reporters doing those podcasts for the athletic and and obviously focusing on all the local teams. So, but that's down the line. But for now, uh, it's a nice little project. Uh, I've been a radio guy my entire life. I've done a little TV. I've done very little writing overall. So this will be a a, a nice little new venture for me to, to go through.
1: All right. Let's move on to our topic today, Orlando. And look, there's a lot of ways we could have gone with you. We know you cover everything. I mean, like Chris, you cover soccer. You're into hockey. Uh, You know, obviously you're into the heat. I mean, you do everything down here. But we want to go with the bread and butter here. We're in the middle of Dolphins training camp and the Dolphins have had two preseason games. It's been a little bit ugly so far. I never read into that. Too much. I'm moving at this for a long time. But, of course, the Dolphins have not had a lot of great seasons since I've known you. And so there when there's alarm about them, it tends to be accurate. Um, but what I want to do with you today here is I want to get your five-point plan for fixing the Dolphins? If you believe that in some ways they're still broken and haven't won a playoff game, now going back to the Lamar Smith game, that's almost two decades ago, um, haven't been to the playoffs uh, right uh, twice, right? 2008, 2016, since then, what would be your five-point prescription for fixing the Dolphins?
2: All right. If, if we're not going to clean house completely, let's just try to fix with what we have right now with what's in place. And one of the things... The, the, the twisted part about when you ask me this is I'm not ready to give up on Adam Gase yet. I'm not ready to give up on, on Chris Greer either. I, I definitely never started or was ever on board with Mike Tannenbaum because I saw what he did with the New York jets. And I hate to do this because he he's a nice man. And you know, when I had my heart condition almost two years ago, and I was in the hospital, the dolphins and Mike Tannenbaum sent me flowers. So it's, It's kind of brutal that i got to do this, but he's the guy that I would get rid of because his influence inside that building is too big. It's affected this team too much. One of the things I talked about when they hired Adam Gase right at the beginning, I said before he even coached one game, before he even stepped on the field, I told Dolphin fans, the thing I fear most is we'll never get to see what Adam Gase is all about because the guy above him will affect what he can do. And if you don't believe me, the last couple of years has affected him because you had the Indomitian Sioux salary that was creating all kinds of problems for him. And then you didn't allow players to stay on your team and you didn't sign them ahead of time like what they did this year finally, okay, with, with, with the nickel cornerback. They finally said, okay, hey, before his contract is up at the end of the year, Let's sign them a year ahead of time. They should have done that with other guys, and they didn't. They let them get to free agency. By the time you get to free agency, they're unaffordable at that point, so you can't pay them at that that kind of salary. It, look, OV, you probably would have gotten for 11 or 12 million a year before, because he was coming off a six and a half sack season. Then you let him get to free agency, and that's why it got to like 18, and then you got to let him go because you can't pay him. So all of these little things get in the way of Adam Gase getting better as a coach. And so now you saw this offseason was a lot about fixing some of the problems that Mike Tannenbaum created. So the first thing that I would do in my five-point plan is I would fire Mike Tannenbaum. If I cannot fire Mike Tannenbaum, then my second step would be keep him away from personnel decisions. If he wants to help out in the cap, if he wants to help out in those areas, that's fine. but trading like Maxwell and Kiko and all these other things, I'd rather him stay away from the trades. I'd rather him stay away from the shiny objects because he loves to shine he loves to buy the the shiny object in the in in the uh in, in the glass uh you know uh, uh what's it called the uh, store you know the, the the what's that called the display uh, case. The display case, exactly. He loves to buy the new shiny object. And so that's one thing that I would stay away from. I want him away from personnel decisions, and I'd rather that the other guys be involved in that. That would be my first wave of my decisions or my five points.
0: And so when you look at the job that he's done so far, I I, I do think that at the very least they're in a position to, if they do nothing else at the moment, that they can have some flexibility going into next year. But I think the problem is is that they couldn't do Andre Branch. They couldn't do Kiko Alonso because there was so much guaranteed money. If they don't extend those guys, if they don't give away more bad contracts, I think they're in a position to either make decisions where they want to keep Kiko Alonso or cut him or keep Andre Branch or cut him. And so... I I do kind of find bizarre that I think it's similar in, in some respects to what the Heat did, where they both made the playoffs or had sort of positive uh, p- a positive signs in 2016, and or you know when they made a run and they bought into it, right? They bought into Andre Branch Great and Kenny point. Stills and Kiko Alonso because they they just wanted to bring back a team that made the playoffs. But I think we've kind of found out in the last year, even even disregarding what happened with Jay Cutler and Ryan Tannehill in the quarterback position. This roster is not talented enough and the top heavy roster, you know, a design I don't think worked particularly well. And I think now where they're trying to build more from the middle, now you look around their team and go, well, where's the talent? And I feel like they've kind of been caught between two minds and in some respects have not yet really established their philosophy for how they're going to build a team outside of their quarterback.
1: Well, that's why Orlando, I was a little bit more encouraged by this offseason than previous offseasons. Um, I, I felt like you said, he kind of stayed away from the shiny objects he had to because of the situation that they were in. But if you look at what they did in the draft, it, you know, it made sense to me. Uh, you know, they needed it. They've needed a playmaking tight end for, what, 20 years. I mean, the closest the closest they've had to that is is Randy McMichael, actually. And you're going back. I mean, he was a draft pick in the early 2000s. Um, you know, Old Charles Brownlee. Clay. Yeah, Charles Clay briefly. But I mean, they have not had playmaking tight ends um, to get another safety. We've seen the safety position has become more important in the league. Now Rashad Jones is in his thirties now. Um, you know, so to get another guy who's a playmaker back there, I totally bought into that. I, I liked, uh, you know, I, you know, I liked the Baker pick too. I, I think that, you know, adding speed at linebacker is something that they've desperately needed. So I, I, I you know, don't,
2: I didn't get good reviews on Baker. That's the, that, that one guy, that's one guy that a lot of my NFL guys just did not buy Baker, man.
1: Well, why not? Uh, he, not 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 physical enough? Was that the not issue physical there? Physical enough. He gets he gets uh, he gets caught up in the
2: in the trash they call it, which is uh, the traffic in the middle. Uh, he'll get caught up with that. Uh, a, a lot of they a lot of times they didn't think he was a guy that looked for contact. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of shied away from contact at times. Uh, one one of my one of my scouts called him more of a pretty boy, but worried more about his looks than football. Uh, you know, things like that. I, I, I didn't get a lot of good reviews uh, when it comes to Jerome. The other guys, uh, I, I mean, I, I love the Gesicki pick, and I got great reviews out of him. Uh, the Smythe pick, I actually got – I didn't know much about him, but my people tell me that he's going to be a better pass catcher than people think, not just a blocker. Uh, I love the Minka pick. I thought that was a fantastic – although now they're screwed with the Minka pick because in a, in the perfect world – You wanted the corner to work out to be either Lippitt, to be Tankersley, and then you keep McCain at the slot, and then you put Minka free safety so he can be the eraser for everybody out there. Now you're stuck with TJ McDonald playing free safety, and he can't play free safety because he doesn't, you know, that's not his thing. The, The deeper you get into the field, the more he gets lost. So, the deeper the pass play, the worse he is in coverage. That's what people told me inside that Rams building. And that's one of the reasons why they couldn't have him around. You've got two strong safeties playing the safety spot, and you have no center fielder right now. And that's where you needed Minka. This is a waste right now to put him at the slot. You know, it's good to have that flexibility. But in the big picture, Minka was supposed to be the guy that ends up being your captain and your racer in center field.
1: So let's look at it overall because, you know, I we can nitpick certain draft picks, but I think you and I both agree that overall it was a pretty good draft for them, probably a better draft Love than it. they've had in past years. I thought in free agency, some of the things they did Made sense. Um, Chris and I have talked about this a lot on the pod. Our guys on three yards per carry have discussed this. You know, they basically went two for one at some positions. You know, you, you don't you don't have Pouncy, but you bring in uh, a couple of offensive linemen, including Sitton, uh, You know, who graded out extremely well last year in particular. Uh, you know, you look at the receiver position. You don't have Landry. Decided he wasn't worth that kind of money, but you bring in two guys and Albert Wilson and Amendola. I don't know if Amendola is going to stay healthy. We'll see how that works out. I don't know if I love taking former New England players. Because that never tends to work out, just like taking former Steelers doesn't tend to work out. Because those organizations seem to know when to let a guy go. Um, but they did get two guys at the position, uh, you know, for Landry. Even if Park, even if Parker's not going to play a ton in the slot, according to Gay. So the draft we've talked about the draft, free agency. Did that make sense to you at all?
2: Oh well, I, I, I'll give you this. L- listen, I'm not a, I'm not a, ha- I'm not one of those guys that's in love with uh, a lot of the moves that Tannenbaum made. But that 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 trade for the fourth for a fourth rounder for a defensive end in Quinn, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was one hell of a trade. That that was one that I was like, uh, you know, you could tell it was a cap deal on the Rams side because they had so many issues and they had so many guys that they have to re-sign, and we're and we're still waiting for Aaron Donald to to ink the contract. But that was one of those pickups in free agency that I absolutely love. Danny Amendola, I get the method behind the madness, but I'm with you. He's thirty-three. And all these stories about him being pissed over the last couple of years of having to take pay cut, pay cut, pay cut to stay with New England. And then he comes here, I almost think, I'm like you, I almost think like he's here for the money more than anything else. Uh, but yeah, there were there were a couple moves in free agency. Sitting, I really like a lot. Uh that was something that they needed desperately. The only thing I don't like is He's at 32, and he's, ha- and he's missed six games the last two years with an ankle issue. And I'm just wondering, will he have that ankle issue again this year? Because this is not a talented team, guys. So they can't afford to lose a lot of players. Injuries can really cripple this team because they don't have the kind of talent sitting there. It's not like I'm really, you know, really confident that Ted Larson or any of these other guys are going to step up and do a really, really good job. Daniel Kilgore, I understood that move. Uh, although, talking to the guys in San Francisco, the one thing that they, you know, that they didn't like about him is that they thought he wasn't a powerful guy and he was a little undersized at times and could get handled. And those could be issues for Miami at times uh, with sitting, but he's healthy and can practice every day, something that Mike Pouncey at this point could not do in his career. I love the Frank Gore move. Uh, in that, lo- in that, in that uh, you know, meeting room, uh, guys like Drake, and Belage can learn from him how to prepare all that stuff. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Akeem Spence is a guy that they needed at defensive tackle. Hell, they needed him so bad. They needed defensive tackle so bad they had to bring back my boy Kendall Langford to help them out because they're not happy with what they have at defensive tackle. And and you saw what happened with Christian McCaffrey this week. So I thought Spence was a solid pro to add, and so is uh, also uh, Langford. On this team, I I I thought you know free agency they didn't go out there and spend crazy amount of money which was smart and at the same time I thought they got you know some pretty good bargains in there in the process I thought sitting they didn't have to overpay and the Robert Quinn move is just one hell of a bargain
1: all right so generally again better off season than maybe they've had in previous off seasons. but i want to pivot with you a little bit so I, your your move here would be to fire tannenbaum um that's yeah. that's clearly not going to happen now before the season we'll see what happens after this season your next move is basically if you're going to keep tannenbaum around keep him away from major personnel decisions which is challenging if he's the gm and he's in charge so i guess the question becomes this um What is your confidence level in Chris Greer? Because if Tannenbaum's not making the decisions, Greer is. Greer has been in charge of the draft now for a while. Greer has worked under, uh, maybe not in charge of the draft, but he's been involved in the draft in a long time. We
2: really don't know. That's the problem. We really don't know exactly all of the decisions that he's made, that Gase has made, that Tannenbaum's made. That's our problem with – and and, and by the way, Ethan, this
1: is a – a problem we've had with the doctors. yeah. I was I was just oh, about I to was, Orlando. I was, England, I was just about is it to say that. Yeah.
2: Is yep. it Ireland is it Parcells? Is it Philbin? Is it Mueller? Is it Sabin? Is it? I mean, this has been a problem forever, and I don't understand why we continue to have this
1: issue. Because because Orlando so they don't. Chefs yeah. The kitchen, dude. But Orlando, it's because they don't they don't they don't, have, they don't have a Riley, and they've never had a Riley, and that that's been the issue. Because I mean, look. The reality is with the heat, multiple people have impact in decisions there. Uh, You know, Andy has some impact, Nick has some impact. Uh, Eric has some impact. Adam Simon has had big impact in a lot of recent Dude, decisions. W-
2: Riley Ch- wanted, uh, Riley wanted Bosch, not Wade.
1: Yes, I know. Well, Ry- Well, Riley also wanted came but he won't admit that. But and, OK. And, 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 and,
2: and, and wait a minute. The Karam Butler move. He wanted the kid that went to Washington. Uh,
1: I'm correct. J- Jared Jeffries. Well, he, yes. he was he w- he was interested in Jared Jeffries. I don't I don't know that he necessarily wanted him. I can tell you. I and thought, Chris and I, I
2: thought fund had to convince him to say, no, Butler is our guy.
1: Well, some I, I thought, I thought some, some
2: up. Well, I, I that's, In fact, <laughs> I thought I, I was there that night in in the draft. I think he told us that that fund had to convince him that Butler was the guy. If I'm correct.
1: Well, I, I I think yes. I think some of that stuff came out. I also tell you that you know, fund wanted Beasley, and and that's a big reason why fund's not here anymore. But right, th- there were. Uh, a lot of things that came out, you know, the thing Orlando is nobody leaves the heat organization. So you don't get as many of those stories as you and I know with the dolphins where everybody leaves and then you hear everything that really happened in the room. But, but look, um, I, I mean, I know for sure that, Adam Simon didn't didn't want the picks for Winslow and Riley deferred to Adam Simon on that. So other people do make decisions um, there. It's not just Pat, but Pat is the face of it. And I think the problem with the Dolphins over the past 20 years is we've never known who the right face is. And so you talked about it. I mean, this is a pattern that goes all the way back, really, since you know since Jimmy left essentially. Um, But for right now, we don't really know. I don't know how good Chris Greer is. I'm with you. Um, you know, all I can take from it is it seems like the people who cover the team, people who are around the team all the time, seem to respect him. Like, they seem to think he knows what he's doing, and maybe he hasn't had the power to make decisions. And to me, it's a little bit similar to actually a guy we just had in our baseball podcast, Michael Hill, where it was really hard to tell for a lot of years, like, is Michael Hill any good? Because yeah, you, you had Dave
2: anybody under
1: Loria exactly. right. or, or, or or Samson, true. right? Or Samson. So I guess this is the question: If they don't, let's say they blow out Tannenbaum, are are you comfortable with Chris Greer running the entire operation next year, or is it like you're saying you just don't know enough? I, I uh,
2: well, I'm comfortable right now. Yes, from w- people that I I know around the league, they think Chris Cran- Chris can do the job. But the problem is, you have to let him do the job and not let others get in the way. And, and, and if you, if you, you know, you check out the five point plan, I sent you the next step would be to also keep Adam Gase away from personnel decisions. That's another problem that this team has because look at some of the decisions that happened last year. Oh, I want Jay Cutler. That's a terrible decision. Oh, I want Julius Thomas. That's a terrible decision. You know, you, you got to keep him away from these kind of decisions You've got to let somebody be more objective about what's going on here instead of Adam Gase. You know, you you look at it. uh, Look what happened with Timmons. He's not in the league anymore. Uh, 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 Matt Moore, nobody picked him up. Julius Thomas, nobody picked him up. Nobody wanted Jay Cutler. These are things you've got to keep. He needs to coach the players and decide the 53 he wants. Chris Greer needs to be in charge of who. They bring in free agency, trades, the draft, let one personnel guy make the decisions, and let that personnel guy, just like Riley, if he, if he wants to defer to somebody else because he wants to say, hey, that defensive backs coach has got a point, we got to take this DB, well then let's go do it. But you've got to break down the responsibilities here. You cannot have so many chefs in the kitchen. That's part of the way that I would break down this process. So that way we can now find out over the next couple of years if Chris Greer can actually do the job because now we know that he's completely in charge. At this point, it's just like the Marlins. We really don't know who to blame because there's way too many people making the decisions.
0: But do you trust Adam Gase as the coach of the team? Have you been impressed enough from what you've seen to believe in him in that respect?
2: No, not yet, because I, I don't see enough discipline on the team. It's two years in, and starting in its its third year, there's still those issues with all the penalties, and they're stupid penalties. It's pre-snap. It's stuff that just makes no sense. It's not effort penalties these are bad penalties that they're committing. And and to me, that's a lack of respect to your coach because, look, I can point at Popovich, I can point at Belichick, and I can point at Sabin. There's a reason why they all win. They have great players, but they also barely beat themselves. And you look at Popovich this year, he had no stars. He still made the playoffs. You look at all three of those coaches, they all lose assistant coaches. Adam Gase didn't have to set the, the, the tempo. He didn't have to – a set the culture when he was in Chicago and when he was in Denver because he was an assistant coach or a position coach. The head coach is the guy that sets the tempo, is the guy that demands the respect, the guy that says this is the way the culture is going to be. That's why when you hear James Harrison talk about Tom Brady and he says, you see Tom Brady running to a meeting because he can't be late because in that place you cannot be late. you got to do it the Belichick way or that's the only way it goes. That's what culture is all about. And I don't see Adam Gase establishing that culture so Adam Gase has got to learn how to handle all those other situations. He knows his offense. He knows his X's and O's. But right now he's not getting the maximum out of people out there, and he's not getting the maximum effort and concentration from these guys. And that's part of a, part of a responsibility of a head coach. So I've been impressed with him at times with his offense, but I can't say that I'm impressed with him overall in how he's running his football team.
1: We'll get back to today's episode here in a second, but first I want to introduce you to another great sponsor in our Five Reason Sports Network and that is miss-inc.com. You can also call them at 305 305- 537 6465. Miss Inc. is a social media problem solver. They do social media marketing and content writing. 10 years in business. They opened in January of 2008, so just before Chad Pennington took the Dolphins to the playoffs. They believe in a personal, customized approach to marketing, so they only represent businesses like the Five Reasons Sports Network that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on websites like Facebook or Twitter. It takes a smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Proud to announce we actually got to 5,000 Twitter followers on the at5reason sports account and miss Inc. has had a lot to do with that. She's been leveraging social media for Ivy businesses for a decade. Check them out, miss-inc.com. That's miss-inc.com. I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this, Orlando, because cool. I, 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 it's actually been a little bit of the reverse for me. Um, I, I have not been impressed with his offense. Uh, now, I, now that may that may change this year because he finally has his pieces. And as we've talked about with many people we've had on the pod, Does Does well, he? I, I, but Are he, he has. Or, or, well, or
2: is he wrong in personnel because he thinks Tannehill's the guy when he's not? That's, but the, but that's but, the but, thing. but But if but, Tannehill's look, not but, the guy, then he yep. doesn't have it.
1: But Orlando, that but that's his call. I mean, he look, he made the decision like to go. I said
2: personnel decisions. But,
1: didn't but, <laughs> but, but, but Orlando, the thing that a coach needs to do, okay, and I think we need to separate these things a little bit. The 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 thing that a coach needs to do is get is work to get the right personnel for his scheme, and then make the scheme work with whatever personnel he ends up having. And so for me. He's but, in love with this kid. But he that's a him. that's a coaching thing. Like he he look he look, Orlando, he obviously thinks he can he can win. His offense can win with this guy. Okay. They didn't trade up. Now maybe now maybe they were in a difficult position to do so at number eleven, but they didn't trade up. He decided he was gonna go ahead with Tannehill, not only go ahead with Tannehill, but they did not bring in a veteran quarterback of any substance. To not not just compete with Tannehill, but make you feel like they're not going to go three and thirteen if he gets hurt. Okay. So the reality is he's he's in bed with Tannehill now. Like he has he's tied himself to him. And my thing is that at least this offseason, it appears that they got him enough options offensively that he can be more creative with his formation. So it's not throwing three hundred times to Jarvis Landry. It's right. they have
0: ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
1: They have a, you know, who are, and there's no A receiver on there, but there's a bunch of B, B minus guys. Maybe Kenny Stills is a B plus guy, but there, there's a bunch of, you know, B receivers. They're a little like I the agree. Heat at two guard, okay? Then you know, right? Then then you take a look at um, you know what he's got in terms of you know having the back he wants, who can catch the ball out of the backfield, who had a great end to the season last year, different back than he had in Ajayi, okay, more of a back that fits his style. He's got a tight end who could be a monster as a receiver as his career progresses. I mean, he can game plan for teams be, you know in, you know during the week with different options. He can he can change his game plan during the game. Like to me. I don't love their talent, but it's more of the talent that he wanted than he had before. So, so to yeah. me, to me, it's to me it's a make or break situation for him as a coach. Now, as far as setting the in other words, don't run sixty-five bubble screens, okay? Like that, that would be nice, okay? But, but so,
2: listen, two two years ago during that seven and a half game stretch with with Ryan, he had it going on. The the offense is playing well. I do give him uh, give him that. That's why I feel that Adam can coach because. So far, Tannehill's best stretch has been under Adam Gase. So I think he's shown you that he can. And I love your point because it is true the way they designed everything this offseason is pretty much to kind of put an end to this one way or the other. Either Ryan's our guy or he's not. I think that's what this whole season's about because that's that's the way they've structured this offense around him to give Adam the flexibility as a play caller and Ryan as a quarterback.
1: Correct. And also they've made it that they'll go three and 13 if it doesn't work and Ryan gets hurt. And and so then they can go get another quarterback. So they they have see right. position themselves for that. But the second point I want to make and then I want to let Chris jump in here is that as a leader, I think he has tried some things. I just don't think they've worked. OK, so if you go back to uh, some of them haven't worked, if you go back to the first season, I mean, he cut three offensive linemen who were underperforming. I mean, that was a message. I was
2: thinking about that, Ethan. And now in hindsight, I'm thinking maybe he cut guys that were so obvious that it's not it wasn't like you were really sending a message.
1: Correct. But 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 the old regimes didn't do that. So Joe Philbin wouldn't have done that. Joe Philbin, the only guys Joe Philbin was trying to get rid of.
2: whoa! whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't know if you know this behind the scenes. Joe Philbin went in every week and, and demanded somebody to be traded off his roster.
1: Okay, but I mean, it did, so, so, it did, I mean so, dude, he wanted
2: to get rid of Ryan Tannehill, okay? I know, Joe, Philbin, I, I, I know Joe that. Philbin, every time he had a guy that had some kind of a character issue, he wanted to, and that's not Ryan, which is weird. He just didn't believe in Ryan. But all the other guys, trust me, the personnel people told me, every week he walked in there and he complained about somebody and I want him off my team. If it was up to Joe Philbin, he might have traded half of the football team. It but was it's, driving the personnel people crazy at how many people he wanted to get rid of
1: okay uh, and that, that's that's all but, I, but what I always perceive that as was Joe didn't want any strong personalities around right, him right yeah. so yeah. so it, all right, he, he didn't anybody who was on his leadership council he wanted out okay i mean going back to the Vante thing too, like i i mean it, that that was the way that you know, he operated. But what I'm saying is the offensive line thing, the reality is he did cut those three guys. None of them could play. Okay. Maybe it seemed like an obvious decision, but at the time it seemed like a message. Ajayi, I mean, the reality is he didn't let him travel to Seattle in that opening game of that season. He was going with Arian Foster, I believe, at the time. Um, and then, you know.
2: I mean, wait, 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 me, Let me Here's Here's the beef I have with Adam Gase on this. Uh, now, this has been something that has developed in two years now with Adam Gase. First of all, Jay ended the season before strong, coming back from the rib injury. He has the entire offseason he's working with these running backs. I get it. He wants a pass-catching, running, running back. He doesn't want the guy that just runs like Jay who doesn't pass-catch a lot. But he then brings in old-ass Arian Foster, who's so broken down And he doesn't figure it out that he's broken down. He waits until Arian Foster says, I can't do it anymore. I'm retired. And then Ajayi comes in and has a great year. He has a terrible feel for the running game. The following year, he has his beef with Ajayi. He finally, you know, trades away Ajayi because it just doesn't fit his scheme. I get it. He starts Damian Williams. I give him the break that he starts Damian Williams on the first week because Damian is the established veteran. Perfect. No problem. After that game, you saw Kenyon Drake clearly was the better back and the guy that on any touch of the ball could house it at any time, something Damian Williams can't do even in his dreams. Guess what he does? He continues to start Damian Williams for the next three to four weeks until Damian Williams, of course, suffers the shoulder injury, and then finally Kenyon Drake gets his opportunity and he blows up. Uh, let one thing about, oh, and another thing, while at, while Ajay was on his run the year before, in one of the press conferences, he admitted to the media and the public that I sometimes have to go to my assistant coaches to remind me to stay with the running game. Dude, how do we have to remind you? The only thing working in your offense on a consistent basis that year is your running game. There's one problem with Adam Gase. He's great with the passing game. His feel for the running game absolutely
0: sucks. You could say last year, if you're going into last season, I think he was drafted on it in fantasy football based off this, that J.J. was their best offensive threat. And then they, did, they, they decided to go in another direction, and he gets traded to the Super Bowl champions. But then it, it ends up kind of being vindicated because Kenyon Drake, albeit after a couple games, ends up becoming, I would say again, the Dolphins' biggest offensive threat. And so does he. And, 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 and by the way, Chris, both happened by accident. Right, exactly. The
2: Ajayi by accident and the Drake by accident. It wasn't because he had any foresight whatsoever. That's the amazing part. I mean, really, he sucks when it comes to the running game, he's
1: terrible. But here's my thing about all this, Orlando. So I think a lot of what you're saying on Gase, and we're going to move on to the next part here in a second. I don't think you and I are that far off, actually. I think we're kind of arguing some of the same things. I mean, my, my thing, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about is coaching. I mean, it's coaching. It's, it's what, yeah. I mean, whether it's the run game or the pass game, it's, it's you know whether or not he's utilizing all the personnel that he has at his disposal, and and so to me that's the big question this year, and that's why there are no excuses. Like sure. year three is the year where he has enough of the players that fit his system. He's diverse enough in terms of his personnel. It's not it's not elite personnel. I mean, look, NFL Network, 100 players. Okay, the Dolphins had one. Cameron Wake, and that he was in the 70s, and he's 36 years old. They don't have elite players at this point. They might have some on the roster, but it may take two or three years for us to see really see that whether it's you know whether it's Drake, whether it's Fitzpatrick, whether it's Kasiki, uh, whether it's McMillan. I, I mean, wh- I who, who, who knows? Might be, the, right. might be the closest guy. Right, or Howard. Right. So there are a number of different options, but they don't have it right now. But what I'm saying is on offense. Uh, To me, there really are no excuses. He got his quarterback. He gave no they gave no competition to the quarterback. They didn't even give a fallback option for the quarterback. They brought in the worst possible veteran free agent quarterback. They could almost intentionally to make sure that there was no competition for the quarterback. And so Gase has to deliver offensively. This has to be a top 12 offense this year. And I don't know if it's going to be that with him. And to me, that's how you evaluate him.
0: On Three Yards Per Carry, we give you a little bit of culture. I'm in Edinburgh for the world-famous Fringe Comedy Festival, which is essentially a cornucopia of comedy, and I am scouting for talent. Do
1: you measure their 40 time or uh, get their vertical?
0: No, pretty much not, unfortunately. Is Benny
1: Hill there?
0: Benny Hill's dead, buddy. (laughs) We also give you the finest in news and analysis of your Miami Dolphins. Listen to us every Thursday and
1: soon every Tuesday and Thursday during the regular season on your favorite podcast provider. There's one other thing I do want to get into beyond beyond football here, uh, which is the organization as a whole. And I know you cover everything. And your fifth point here was that Steve Ross basically needs to stop talking. And, And 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 we've talked about this, Chris and I, you know, a lot because it's for me there's a lot of things that Steve Ross does well okay oh, there's a lot right, of things i right. And, and, and right and not just the related group but what he does with rise uh, what he does, I think what he's done with soccer and Chris and can, both of you guys are soccer guys can attest to this, what he's done in terms of, of bringing ICC here in terms of uh, where they're positioned for the World Cup, everything and what he's done at the stadium. And we're, we're going to be giving away Colombia Venezuela tickets here uh, in the next couple of weeks. He like,
2: saved the tennis tournament, too, man. He's he's just a, a fantastic custodian uh, of, a, of a sports team. He just, you know, he's just got to figure out the right people to run his football team because obviously he's got the right people running the stadium because Tom Garfinkel is an absolute stud. They've got that stadium mostly full for the entire year, and I think they've, you know, one of the things that as a business they have have succeeded in is that they've made the game day experience uh, uh, pleasant enough that people want to be there even though the product's not very good. That's impressive, dude. I'm, no, he, impressive big time.
1: they've done they've done a great job with that. And so I, I'm saying all of those things. It's kind of like the butt is coming here um, because <laughs> I, I I right because because I, I, I do admire a lot of what Ross has done and I admire the social justice work and everything else. But you and I are in complete agreement on this one. OK, um, he he just can't get out of his own way with some of the things he says. And and and, I, and, and a lot of it is with the football team. I've told this story many times, but. Uh, you know, way back when, when they had that disastrous uh, Gator Day at the stadium, when Tebow came in and beat them because they were celebrating an opposing player. And I, Steve Ross was told repeatedly, do not, do not take a picture with Urban Meyer, because this was about the time that Tony Sperano was on the hot seat already. May he rest in peace. OK, he was on the hot seat already. And there were questions about whether Urban, who is in the news again now, um, whether Urban might be the next head coach of the Miami Dolphins, do not get pictured with Urban Meyer and Steve Ross on the front page of the Sun Sentinel with his arm next to Urban Meyer. Um, So he just he does these kind of things all the time. And I know it drove people inside that organization nuts. And he has said things like, you know, whether it was Chad Henney was the next Dan Marino and on and on and on. Or, you know, the Heat are not, you know, we're going to be the most relevant team in town, something to that effect, because they don't have LeBron anymore. Just things that he should not say. But to me, the biggest misstep here is the social justice thing. And the reason for it is that the one area where I think Steve Ross really has his players' respect is this rise thing that he does, which is very, very, very positive, okay? And he has been, to me, not the worst owner in terms of this, because Jerry Jones and Bob McNair have been the worst owners and other guys, but the most wishy-washy owner in the NFL on this. Like, what he has done with this anthem thing is a total disaster, Orlando. It's just – I mean, just – Pick a side.
2: But if but if it goes along with the entire league has been a disaster with all of this. They've mishandled everything. I mean, dude, they mishandle everything in this league. How many things do they actually even handle the right way? That's the problem with the NFL. The NBA handles everything the right way and the NFL screws everything up and they're teflon with it all which is amazing to me
1: they're not completely teflon i mean they're they're not they're not getting beat up as bad as the president would like you to believe but but they're not they're they've been beat up a little bit i mean there's no question i mean the ratings are still great i think seven of the top 10 tv shows last year were nfl program or something like it's like 70 percent of 5%, them
2: percent five percent in profit still went up man so they, yeah. they're still they're still winning uh, you know the ct thing is going to catch up to them One way or another, there's no doubt about that. But all these other issues, man, they they mishandle every issue that comes across the uh, table.
1: Yeah, so so I want to focus on Ross specifically because, Mm -hmm. uh, to me, what Ross has done here with the Anthem thing does play into his stewardship of the franchise because – you want your players to believe in what you're doing as a whole, and I, I thought at first Steve Ross came out and was very protective of his players, and then he allowed basically the president to co-opt the message uh, and, and his to- co-owners. In fairness to him, like the other owners in the league, mm-hmm. clearly seemed to raise enough
0: alarms about where the business was going that oh crap, we gotta we gotta we, we gotta true, make true. some changes. And I I, I think his actual p- and in fairness to him too, I think his actual point that the president did co-opt the message is an accurate one because it's not like the players are actually winning in the court of public opinion. I mean, amongst like segments of Twitter maybe, but like, I, I don't think your average person actually agrees with what they're doing because they've made it about the anthem and patriotism and the military more than what they're talking about. So I actually think Ross is correct in that point.
1: It's just, again, like you said, he's changed his mind 10 times he's changed his mind 10 look he's changed his mind 10 times and the reality of whatever the public thinks about this and we're skewed because at five reasons sports our, our audience tends to be a little bit younger more liberal more nba related and so you know when i poll this it's 80% in support of the players i know that's not the public at large okay i get that but but the the biggest to me the reason i'm focusing on ross is he actually unlike some of the owners he seems to have a heart OK, like most, most, most of these guys don't. OK, NFL owners. All right. They're I don't know if they're general. You know, I just I don't know that they believe really in supporting their players. Ross seems to. And yet has changed his mind in this 12 times. And my issue with the whole him sort of acknowledging that Trump has co-opted, co-opted the message here, Chris, is that by saying that you're allowing Trump to co-opt the message. Basically, I mean, you're basically saying yeah. Okay. It really was never about the flag. It was about, you know, pr- police brutality and all that. But because the president says it's about the flag now, it's about the flag. A- and so I-, I think the way that he's handled that has been so clumsy. Um, and then they've had the additional situation where, you know, the release gets out about how they're going to punish players, and I know they had to walk that back. That was.
2: Uh, but that wasn't them. That was they were following a a a league mandate, and they. Mm-hmm. Had, we're ahead of everybody else, and then they're the ones that get...
0: I felt bad. I, I, re- I really that. felt bad that, for them on that.
2: that. Yeah, that wasn't on the Dolphins. That was okay. just, again, the NFL mishandling another situation.
1: All right, so let's, but let's look at it overall, okay? Whether you believe that the, the anthem thing in particular is the big deal now, or just in general, the the way Ross has led the franchise, is your biggest issue with him the things he says, or is it what you seem to be getting at with the rest of this pod... The people he's hiring because
2: because, because, it's been been more about, you know, he he sometimes talks out of both sides of his mouth. Sometimes he says some stuff that's just so outlandish and just, you know, just wrong. Uh, And then obviously the biggest problem of it all is, you know, he doesn't put the right people in place and he has not produced a winning product. You know, that's been. And listen, this is this is a problem that he inherited it's a problem that's been going on before he took over this football team. It was going on during the Wayne years. And, you know, bless him, uh, the late, great Wayne Hyzinga he tried his best. He tried to bring in Jimmy, and he tried to bring in Parcells, and he tried to bring in Sabin And we all thought those were the right guys, too, at that time, and it didn't work out. So this is a problem that he's picked up the baton from Wayne, and neither guy has been able to find the right combination to lead that football team back to being respectable again and being a winning franchise. So ultimately, that's been the main problem with Ross. Everything else, the goofy stuff he says, talking out of both sides of his mouth with the anthem stuff, whatever, all that stuff gets magnified because he has not gotten it done as an owner on the football team. But then he offsets all of that by how good he is as an owner, that you'll see him. He will, he doesn't do what every other owner does. He'll spend whatever his front office people and his coaches say. I want that player. You got it. I want this for my facility. You got it. I want this assistant coach. You got it. I want to add this department. You got it. So, you know, you got to love the fact that he is willing to do anything and everything, and he's put hundreds of millions of dollars into that stadium, and that stadium is beautiful and fun to go to now and he saved the tennis tournament, all of that. I mean, there's a lot of things to love about about what he does and and spending money. He's just got to find a way to, you know, get the football team over the top because you just said it earlier. If you're a soccer fan like me and Chris, you love him for, you know, the fact that he's willing to spend on the football team, and then you love him because – He's also willing to help soccer grow in this country, not just in South Florida, because he's helping soccer grow in this country by doing the things he's doing too. so there's a lot of positives to like about that. I don't want him to go anywhere I, I like Stephen Ross. I think he's good for us. I think he just has to you know find the right combination to unlock that safe that's it
0: yeah and and I don't know from an ownership perspective. I I'm I'm always curious what the role actually is because you hear that the best teams like you know the Rooney family with the Steelers or Kraft with the Patriots, but uh, also Kraft with his MLS team is not very good. So I I don't know what the right formula is for an NFL owner to have an impact on winning other than hiring the right people and staying out of the way. And I I guess, you know, he turned to Tannenbaum and it seems like he's turned more to personal relationships than having this opening hire, this open hiring process to go and find whoever the best candidate is. But to me, the amazing, you know, way that the Dolphins have been down on their luck, like I I heard, you know, uh, someone saying that the biggest uh, what if in the history, in the last kind of 15 years of the NFL is, what if Saban worked with Drew Brees? Like, like, would Wayne Huizenga have owned the Dolphins until he died? Would this, you know, this Dolphins organization not be a joke? Like, it, it really can become flashpoints on that level. So, yeah. I, I I just I just don't know what the owner what the answer is from an ownership perspective to actually turn this around.
2: You know, Chris, those two examples you 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 gave, well, one in craft, he got lucky, just like Arison, that he hired the right guy and from there it's taken off. He hired the right guy in Belichick, Arison hired the right guy in Riley and it took off. The amazing part of the Roonies is they consistently make the right decision on their coaches Chuck Knoll then obviously Cower and and then Tomlin and they've had success with all of them and they and they they also have success off the field with their players there's this bond there's this relationship with that family and that football team that is second to none It really is amazing how how you can, you know, we can say that Kraft is a great owner, but what happens when Belichick retires? Will he find the next guy? You know what I mean? Because we had Shula in place, and then we pushed Shula out, and we haven't been able to recover from Shula either. And so it's really tough, you know, but it's impressive when you see, when you mention Rooney's, how they've been able to make great decisions decade after decade after decade and how the Rooney rule is an example of what that family brought to the table to the NFL and what they've meant, you know, to black coaching in, 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 uh, in, in, the history of the NFL. So it really is amazing. And and that's why you look at it. You, it's, it's hard to have an answer, but you've got to find, if you're an owner, you got to find the right CEO to run your business. Well, you got to find the right coach and the right, you know, front office people to run your business. And so far, they just haven't been able to do that in Miami.
1: So let's look at the next five years, Orlando. Okay. Where do you think this team is? I mean, have you given up hope for the Dolphins in terms of being a consistent contender? Or are we just waiting for Brady basically to croak on the field? Like, what, what what is what is your hope level for this franchise?
2: Well, I don't have a lot of hope right now because they, they just don't give me hope. I mean, unless, you know you know my term on the show, blind-ass fan... That's the that's the only way you're going to create hope and that's just false hope that you're creating. Even even through the first two games of the preseason, which I know they don't mean anything, but you still can't feel good about what you're seeing. So right now, no, I don't I don't feel good about the next 5 years until you actually show me something to feel good about. So I need to see like you talked about how, you know, with with Adam Gase this year, okay? Well, you've got the the team a little bit more in your personality, well, you need to you show me that you can get this team over the top and that you can be a difference maker as a play caller and, a, and as a head coach so I can feel better moving forward in building this team. And, and, you know, as long as you have, again, my first step here, as long as you have Mike Tannenbaum in place, And the possibility of him sticking his nose and, you know, making some wacky trade or signing some crazy free agent, I think that's also a problem for this team. So it's hard for me to have any good feel for this team like I do for the Hurricane football team, that I'm looking at what Mark Rick has done his first two years, and I see the trend Going upward, and I expect it to continue to go upward this year. Why? Because I'm watching the building going on. Hell, even the Panthers are showing me more in the future. I love what they're doing right now. I don't think they have the goaltending to go deep into the playoffs, but I think they have enough young talent and scores, and even enough on defense to make it interesting to definitely at least get in the playoffs this year because they should have gotten in the playoffs this past year with the 96 points. At least I'm seeing something trending in the right direction with them. With the Dolphins and the Marlins, there's no way I should feel positive about their futures right now.
1: Chris, where do you stand? Five years, where do you think this franchise is?
0: I, I, I don't know, because it, uh, to me, it starts with the quarterback position. It's one of the things that, I, and surprise uh, oh given where you've been on Tannehill throughout the years, we haven't talked about it a ton, but To me, it all depends on, you know, I don't think there's much to find out, kind of like how I think the Heat's young guys are kind of who they are, except for Bam. He's only been in the league for a year. But for the most part, they're just kind of decent players that I think will be role players. I think Ryan Tannehill is a decent quarterback that's never really going to have that high of a ceiling. And so it really depends on, you know, if this year goes as bad as, let's say, the national pundits say will and they win four games and they're drafting at the top of the draft and they find a, a quarterback that gives you hope in the way that Deshaun Watson did then maybe the whole trajectory of the franchise changes but as long as these characters remain in place I'd say you know they're uh, uh basically where they've been which is you know between six and ten wins and one of the one of the 24 teams that's in the middle of the league for me
1: you know and, and the way I look at it um you know, overall, it, it, to me, I'm with you on the quarterback situation. They need to figure that out like now. We can't, we can't give Ryan seven more years to determine whether or not he's well, well, the guy.
2: Listen, guys, it has to be this year, Ethan. He has. Yep. It has this has to be the end-all, be-all because if he doesn't cross that threshold this year, Adam Gase has to know that he can't stick with him a fourth year because he's going to get fired. Because if he hasn't gotten him over the hump the first couple years, this is the year where he has to figure out Ryan. If he's not convinced with Ryan, he better move on because it's going to cost him his job. And, And that's the one thing throughout Ryan's career we've watched everybody else get fired except him
1: yeah uh, everybody on the offensive line i mean that whole thing is turned over now we've seen the receivers turn over too and uh, they've got a lot of decisions to make all right big o uh, thanks for joining us today again you can follow him uh at the big o show also uh wqam during the middays now we'll be on the athletic miami rest of that crew uh from what i'm hearing going to get announced here over the next couple of weeks so be sure to follow them we'll be probably having a lot of their personnel on our shows so thanks for joining us again make sure that you hit the follow button and subscribe later in the week we're going to be talking to the host of five rings canes on our network josh darrow talk about the canes prospects for the upcoming season talk to you soon
0: josh darrow here host of the five rings podcast where it's always a canes thing on the five reasons sports network what are we about pretty easy I want to tell stories, and I want to share the journey for the players and coaches, past and present, affiliated with the University of Miami. Take Manny Diaz; he grew up in Miami. He grew up going to the Orange Bowl. It was, you know, it was all those 1980s teams. You know, that that's where it all started for me, and just just the style of play, and and really, it was it really took hold when Jimmy Johnson was here, and you know, sitting there in the Orange Bowl in '86 when we we're whipping Oklahoma, and just you know, what I mean, just just speed and then violence you know i mean it, it, you know we're not only you know you know nebraska it was a changing of college football it's those kind of memories we want to share with you listen subscribe rate review we appreciate the support the five rings podcast where it's always a cane thing, and we're always a part of the five reasons sports network